0: For some of you, it's your first time. For others, it is not. But for today, I would like to welcome you all to Epic Realms. here we are welcome friends and enemies to epic realms today with us new york times best-selling author of the iron druid chronicles co-author with delilah s dawson on the tales of pell the seven Kenning series and so much more welcome kevin hearn how are you doing oh doing great thanks nick appreciate you having me on yeah i appreciate you stopping by i want i want to get your take on this so you actually didn't start your official writing until like college, correct?
1: Yes, that's right. I used to want to be an artist or like a graphic designer, really more than a fine artist. How did you do in, in
0: before that, when you were in high school, were you, uh, uh, academically high and mighty or were you not so much so like, was English a big, a big thing in your house for you?
1: Uh, yeah, it was for me anyway. Uh, I loved it. It, it worked, uh, worked for me. Uh, but, uh, the, uh you know, I, I, I did well. I wasn't like top of my class or anything, but uh, yes, I was doing the honors English program. Uh, and, and I did get a scholarship to go to college based on, you know, your SAT scores at the time and uh, your grade point average. I think that's what they were offering scholarships based on. So I was lucky in that regard because I got to go to college with my tuition paid. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it was while I was in college that I, Got the bug to write
0: and you ended up graduating, and did you if i'm not mistaken, you were a teacher for quite a bit of time correct
1: well yeah I was an, I was an English teacher, I taught high school English for seventeen years, and during that time, I was writing not very well, but I had the, you know I had that uh, that sort of that hubris that, that feeling that well since i 'm an English teacher, I should know how to write a novel, and that right. was incorrect um, and, and I, I basically tried and failed a lot um but uh, I never really went to a conference. I never, you know, I read, I picked up a couple of books here and there. And of course I just read a lot. Um, And those things taught me a little bit. And then the process of finally finishing a book was sort of revelatory because that was when I knew, well, hey, now I can do this. I know what it takes. So I wrote, uh, my first novel took me six years to write after a bunch of, starts and fails to never even finish um but once I I I finished my first book with six years then I wrote another one that was twice as long but it took half the time so it was you know a big step up in just getting stuff done but that too was a failure in the sense that it was just really full of cliches um really full of you know a lot of crutches basically I was still learning it's sort of like a like riding a bike with training wheels you know what I mean your yeah. first novel is sometimes, or or second or third or whatever. Yeah, it, it's just you kind of learning how the craft is done, and then once you've got it down, then you can be fairly consistent with you know riding your bike or writing a book. Um, and then uh, that's that's that was my third novel uh, that got published. It was hounded. That one only took me eleven months, so that was much faster than the others. And then the second book, Hexed, took me only six so did you
0: did you find an issue with finding finding publishers did, like those first couple books? did you try and get published and just get turned down or did you yeah. just tell yourself "Yeah, these aren't good enough
1: the first one i didn't even submit it, it it's just monstrous it's terrible yeah it, it it very deservedly will stay in a trunk forever <laughs> um the second one i uh i did send out sort of like at a, a just a slush pile kind of uh, submission uh, and I got some uh, vague interest <laughs> from one publisher um, and then oh, kind of fun story is that uh, they held on to it they, they vaguely said they were interested and they were going to have other editors review it but then they held on to it and I heard nothing and it was while I was waiting to hear back for them that I wrote Hounded because that that was an epic fantasy and um, so I, I wound up writing an urban fantasy just for fun to keep myself entertained while I was waiting to hear back on the epic. Okay. Well, well, then I I go ahead and and finish Hounded and I get an agent and he submits it and stuff and then this same company that had my epic and had been sitting on it for a year wanted to buy Hounded. <laughs> and so my I, that's at that point when I told my agent, hey, they actually have my epic. And so he asked them, hey, do you want that too? And they're like let us check let's get back to you and then they said no but we really like hounded <laughs> so <laughs> so i mean and that's fair because the second book was you know it was terrible also yeah. so just i but but it was super worthwhile it's not like it was a waste of my time because those first two books that took me so long and were full of so many problems uh was me learning how to write an actual book that worked right so it was not wasted time at all and um for anybody out there who's like hey i can write a novel someday you absolutely can i didn't get published until i was 39 so there you go there, there you, you go. go and am i am i mistaken i read
0: somewhere that they actually did a like a a producer's auction to get yeah. to get your to buy your th-
1: book yeah publisher yeah it's sold at auction um so i've and, never heard how, of that
0: before and maybe that's just me but how does that work
1: well, okay. So um, if you're just a rando, you know, dude like me, and you're submitting to uh, a publisher, then they say, well, you can only submit to one publisher at a time, you know, and and that was used to be the rule. I'm not sure how, how much that applies anymore, but um, agents had the benefit of Not only being able to submit to multiple publishers at a time, but they actually could also call the publisher, you know, have the editor on the phone and say, hey, I'm sending you something now I'm really excited about. You're going to want to take a look at it. So that is a huge advantage to having an agent and um, just being able to do that. So my agent submitted it to nine publishers all at once. Within two weeks, four of them wanted it. So they then had to. Um, go to bid for it basically and submit what their best offer was and uh, what they were going to offer besides money, you know, what kind of marketing support, etc. Mm-hmm. So I had that luxury of being able to choose. Um, I feel super fortunate. Um, and I was, you know, I chose Del Rey and have been with them ever since. So
0: nice. Yeah.
1: So we're talking about your first book, Hound It. Iron
0: Druid Chronicles goes on to be wildly successful. Did you expect it to get that big? Did you expect starting off that it was going to be as many books as it was going to be, or were you like, I'm going to do one. And maybe if I can get two or three in, that would be great.
1: Yeah. See, uh, I did sell it as a a three books, you know, and uh, a three book contract. And then I didn't know if I would be able to continue after book three. We had no idea because we just had to see how sales, you know, did. And so, um, and, and I had no expectation that it was going to be super successful. You know, of course, my dream was just, I just want to get published. I just want to see my book on the shelf someday. And that happened. And then um, other things started happening too, and super unexpectedly and uh, kind of unexpectedly, perhaps also for the publisher. They're like, I don't we, we can't explain why this is doing well. So it was mostly a word about thing. And it has been for a very long time um, because I, I didn't get... Um, nearly the marketing and stuff like that on it that I, you know, got in some of my later uh, books. Um, And uh, what I did benefit from was that I would have uh, Hounded came out in May of 2011, and then Hexed and Hammered came out in June and July of 2011. So that was, it, it was a marketing ploy because they were saying to booksellers, look, here are three books by a brand new author we believe in this author so much that we're going to give you three books all at the same time so that people who like to binge read can do so
0: oh okay
1: also you get more shelf space right yeah It, it your people are going to notice a new name on the shelf if all of a sudden you're taking up you know the space of three titles rather than just one where you can easily be skipped over right that's a great idea So, so yeah, that was the thinking behind it. And I can't argue with it because it seems to have worked. You know, I, I became, um, you know, people were noticing me and picking me up and then telling their friends and thank you to everybody who did that. Um, because I think that continues to be the best marketing there is. It's just word of mouth.
0: There is no book in my personal, out of my personal, you know, experience that I've seen firsthand grow By word of mouth, other than yours, like we got it. We got an audiobook copy and I was hooked. My wife was hooked. I told a friend he was hooked. He told two of his friends. They were hooked. They told relatives. And I literally sat there over the course of a year and watched all these people who came back and said, hey, this is an amazing book and just watched it spread like like a plague, but in a good way. Yeah. yeah
1: right. <laughs> Hopefully. Yeah. The good kind. Uh, and, and that's, yeah. So I'm, I'm super grateful for that, that people, uh, you know, are, are being entertained and then just telling their friends about it, because honestly it allows me to write more. That's, that's great.
0: Right. And for those that don't know that are listening, uh, Iron Druid is a modern urban fantasy with throwbacks uh, to, you know, like a lot of urban fantasies where it's, it encompasses a lot of the different mythologies, um, but there's a lot of like good historical background in a lot of it because you're a big fan of history yes
1: oh yeah uh I, I was uh having a good time researching all that stuff uh especially the some of the irish myth uh, part of the things that was going through my head at the time was uh disney you know i had a young kid and disney at the time had these shows about fairies and that the fairies were had certain talents and they sort of existed to you know serve humans or help humans or something like that and i'm like that is not the way <laughs> berries are supposed to be that's not you know right. their original conception that's so far gone from the original mythology i can't even so um i wanted to write a story where the fae are properly you know dangerous and scary right you know, and then uh and and that would adhere to you know the original mythology a little bit better um and then of course there's a ton of different versions of that mythology because um a whole bunch of you know cu- cultures have fae Um, and uh, some of them are shared and some of them borrow from, you know, one another. Right. uh, But I was trying to focus on specifically Irish stuff because of my protagonist and also specifically Irish stuff rather than pan-Celtic was not something folks were really paying attention to. Um, You would get some uh, mythology that, for example, Curnunos, the horned god, he is a figure who shows up on the continent – you know, with the druids on the continent a little bit more than specifically in Ireland where he was not a big deal. Right. So that that's uh kind of what I'm doing with my books is focusing yeah, on yeah definitely you know, the first
0: And one of the things that we're currently like looking back, I really see a a story of character development. Like all the characters evolve and develop um throughout the time and even even, you know, sometimes it's, sometimes they don't even notice it till like Atticus right at the end. Sometimes even now the the latest Incan sigil book, like he doesn't realize where he needed to evolve in his right. life after hundreds of years. Um, you know, whether it's Atticus, Oberon, obviously his, his language and the way he understands human life, Oberon being the the Irish wolfhound for those that don't know, um, Granny Whale, you know, her personal development from beginning to end, uh, uh, just the worldviews you get to see because you're writing this during a time where our history has shifted quite a bit as well. To so to see how people see things in you know the social climate from the first book to the later books, you see this drastic change, um, and you see the characters reflecting on that, and I find that really awesome. And of course, uh, a good reference to look back on is Leaf, who doesn't you know his story is he doesn't change. He's the same as he was. You know, that hundreds of years ago, and I thought that was really interesting. I didn't know if you wanted to talk on that at all.
1: Oh, sure. I mean, he was one of the more interesting characters uh, to write, um, where you know he wasn't really flexible with change. He could do a little bit, but not a lot. And it turns out that his fundamental nature uh, is has yeah has not changed very much at all. Um, Although he's done his best to try to hide it. Uh, And then um, another uh, person. That uh, we get to look at, who's wants to change and is having difficulty doing so is the Morgan. Right, um,
0: right. I didn't even. think She has, about
1: that. yeah. She's got a ton of issues that she wants to deal with, but she feels constrained by the, you know, the the belief that her powers come right. from faith, and the people who believe in the Morgan around the world believe a certain, you know, collection of things. There are minor variations, but um, there's a certain way that she is you know uh, this is what the morgan is like in the minds of a whole bunch of people so she couldn't escape that she she was trying to figure it out so um there's another stab at it she gets another chance in paper and blood for those of you who haven't read ink and paper and blood that does continue in the iron druid universe atticus and oberon do show up um and and will continue to do so it's just that atticus is no longer the narrator Right. So you you have Al McVarish being the narrator instead, and um, but all of these supporting characters and so on that were in the Iron Druid Chronicles are still all there, and uh, there's plenty of you know character growth to uh, still happen for everybody. So
0: excellent, and we'll definitely talk more about the uh, Ink and Sigil series here in a bit. Uh, I had another question: Were you in charge of, or was this a complete fan thing? The Twitter accounts of oberon and owen and their yeah. interactions and you know because almost a lot of the characters had their own twitter handles and i was really curious if you had a handle in those and i figured this I might did. be a question you might not have been asked <laughs> normally yeah
1: i was running those accounts and having fun just tweeting as those characters right um right. so yeah i had a irish oberon account and an arc druid owen uh account and um, those were for basically I think the last three books is when I started doing those. Right. Um, because I, I found it so amusing that they would kind of play off each other. Uh, and it, it was just fun to tweet as as those characters. But it, gosh, it was a lot of work. So right. I, I, I the accounts still exist. I just haven't. They're basically have gone dormant, you know, for years now because I, I haven't kept up. Uh, right. I couldn't. You know, It's hard. Up. It's hard to do one yeah. Twitter account, let alone you know, three, right. four, or five. Right. So, so I I did have fun while that was going on. That was that was an amusing time for me on Twitter. Uh, you know, Twitter can often be uh, you know a hell site. You know, otherwise, so that was that was a lot of fun.
0: How do you feel about Oberon becoming like a, a novel cult icon character? Out of all the characters in this series, Oberon's yeah. kind of like the one that everyone goes, "Oh my god, this is the best." Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, here's the weird thing about it is that Oberon, in terms of his growth, he grows in his language. But otherwise, as a character, he doesn't. He's really a flat character. He likes sausages and poodles at the beginning, and he still likes them at the end. You know what I mean? He's he's always a dog. Yeah. So um, he's not a character that I had to work on. He was just there to provide his little, uh, you know, his comments on things as we went. I didn't plan a single thing for Oberon as I went. Um, and yet here he is, you know, the most popular character. I spend all this time trying to figure out, well, how is Atticus going to grow and how is the Morgan going to grow and so on and so forth. But, you know, that, that was took a lot of time. But what everybody likes is the very simple character Oberon. So I thought that that was a, an interesting irony. Uh, it continues to amuse me. And I'm, I'm, I'm really glad people dig it. Yeah. Let's talk about the
0: Tales of Pell. You worked with Delilah S. Dawson on yeah. this, this series. And it's kind of like a humor throwback make fun of, you know, all of the tropes that exist in, you know, fantasy books. How did yeah. that come to be? And how did you guys get to know each other?
1: Um, well, we, <laughs> we started out uh, getting to know each other through an anthology. You know, sometimes these anthologies get thrown together around a theme and then you get to maybe meet or interact with some of the other p- people who are contributing. Um, and uh, there was an anthology called Carny Punk. And uh, we were basically writing urban fantasy set in a carnival. Uh, And so Delilah became a part of that anthology. And that was where I first became familiar with her as a writer. And then we got to meet on an event for Carny Punk um, later on, and we just kind of became friends from there. and then I started, you know, reading some more of her work, and I was like, "Man, she's amazing! She's a really good writer." Right. So, you know, we're we're uh, we're just, you know, colleagues, friends for a while, and then um, we decided um, one day we were, you know, talking about tropes and stuff like that, and uh, we had an event in Dallas with um, uh, it was with Charlene Harris and Jay Wells and um, Rachel Kane. In Dallas. And after that, we were sitting at the airport waiting, you know, to take separate flights home. right are having really bad barbecue. And I thought, you know, what would be fun is if we had an anthology of uh killing the farm boy, because the farm boy is this huge uh trope that you see in a lot of fantasy, right? Where this this little guy who knows Luke Skywalker knows nothing, and somebody comes along and says, No, 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 secretly you're the chosen one, or you've had a power or destiny or whatever. And and we're going. You're not really just this, you know, rando farm kid. You are somebody important, and you know, blah blah blah. And that speaks to a lot. It's a white male power fantasy, is what it is. So what we wanted to do was make fun of that and just keep killing the farm boy. Have an anthology of short stories where the farm boy just keeps dying. And um, that that was the original idea. But then it is really hard to put together an anthology like that. It's just a lot of work, you know, herding authors together. And about a year later after that, Delilah says to me, you know, this idea still is fun to me, but maybe we just write a book that way together. What do you, what do you say? You want to try it? I'm like, okay, I've never done this before. Let's give it a shot. And uh, what we did was we outlined, uh, we we wrote five sample chapters just to see how it would go with a few basic characters in mind. And it was so much fun. It was like a game of improv, right? right? I write a chapter, send it to Delilah she reads it and then she responds with a different chapter from a different you know perspective and it just sort of grew from there and then uh it's it was like a, think about a, a dungeons and dragons team where everybody rolls a critical fail you know, it, <laughs> it, it, it's just it, it, it's sort of like that where you've got this band of misfits who are in a lot of epic fantasies never really given their due but once you kill the farm boy then these people can all come to the front and have the the rich stories told about them that they deserve. So uh that's what we set out to do and it was a blast and then we also wrote two more books in the same world um No Country for Old Gnomes and then also The Princess Beard. So they're all humorous fantasy, tons of puns, you can read them in any order, it doesn't matter. Um and the map at the beginning though is one of my I'm very proud of it. It's one of my favorite things that I, I drew the map for the Tales of Pell, and um, I think I've got a fun little generator on my on my website uh, where you can choose your uh, where you are from Pell, what uh, what species, like you could be a griffin or you could be you know a halfling or a troll or whatever, and then uh, choose your gender. You could be uh, male, female, non-binary, and then you can uh, you know they'll they'll basically generate where you're from give you a name and you know a basic history uh and that's a lot of fun uh to to do that if you wanted to role play in that world so because nice. you've got a map you know right you can why not
0: it. why not yeah uh, speaking of role playing are you a role player
1: yes yes nice. uh, i wouldn't say that i'm like highly skilled or anything like that but i do like to do it um uh right now i'm in a game uh playing one called mutants and masterminds love the game love the system yeah bro i'm having a good time with it uh i am a uh, sort of a random sort of like a, a potion wizard okay uh named pestle and uh, i have a my a magical power with liquids i could change the form of liquids, so i could actually do the water to wine thing nice uh, or whatever i want and then i just have these potions like one is an area of effect spell it's a gravy bomb so you throw it in there And then everybody's distracted because, oh, my God, they're covered in gravy and taste delicious. And they're just licking themselves and they're not fighting anymore. So it allows you to uh, maybe score some hits and stuff like that sometimes. So I love like silly stuff like that. It's a really fun game.
0: I always thought that if Iron Druid was a role playing game and we had to pick a system, we'd pick Mutants and Masterminds because you could pretty much do anything with it.
1: Oh, that you know what? That wouldn't be bad at all. Yeah. Um, I think it would be fun. I think the Iron Druid world has a lot of opportunities uh, for role-playing. And in fact, I should probably say that right now, um, Hero Forge Minis has an Atticus O'Sullivan miniature. I saw that. I did see that. Yeah. Wasn't that that a limited edition or
0: was that like...
1: It's still available. I think I've taken the link down, but um, maybe I can try to share it again. But there's also like a a sweepstakes going for right now. There's a completed painted version of it. Um, where it's highly detailed, and you can Amazing. get um, the uh, you could win the painted mini, and then you could also win a uh, a copy of Hounded, the new one coming out in March that we're nice. going to talk about later. Yeah, have to share that link with you at some point.
0: Were you guys when you guys were writing the like the Princess Beard and that were you guys trying to see who could crack the other one, like who could bite the, write, who can write the most ridiculous thing possible and see we're if it bit. flies with the other one.
1: A little bit, yeah. I mean, and and we were getting some stuff from the editor too. Like, really, guys, are you serious? You <laughs> that right now? I can't believe you did. Like, we actually grossed out the copy editor. <laughs> um, so, so that was pretty cool. Um, but yeah, I mean, there was a there was a chapter where uh, in the princess beard. Like, there's some stuff in the princess beard. Like, nobody's ever written stuff like this before um and, and a, a ton of jokes for example about menstruation just a whole bunch of puns and stuff like that one after the other that delilah wrote and i'm like okay well how do i one up this there's it's practically impossible but i'm going to give it a shot and so i had a bunch of a bunch of immature jokes after that in the next chapter so we were having a blast uh, you know going back and forth with that and, and it was so much fun because you know you're doing this with with your buddy and you know that whenever you get a new chapter you're going to be laughing your butt off so um yeah if you guys haven't tried those out give them a shot yeah they're They're, hilarious good time so moving on from there
0: another series which i asked you about earlier today the seven kenning series is that going to be more than three books or is that planned to be three books
1: Yes, planned to be just three, um, okay. it, and it will be three. Uh, the the third book, uh, I'm not sure exactly how long it's going to wind up being. Uh, it, it is, but I'm in the midst of writing it right now. and It's called A Curse of Krakens. Um, so, of course, when the the Seattle Kraken announced their uh, their team and all that stuff, I was overjoyed because I've had my, you know, my my Krakens title for years. Ever since I started uh, doing the you know the series. Nice. So um, I'm 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 now a Seattle Kraken fan uh, as well as an Ottawa Senators fan. Okay, uh, my Eastern and Western uh, (laughs) conference teams there. So uh, but yeah, the 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 Seven Kennings is uh, there's two books out now and uh, third is on the way. And uh, I think it'll be the thing that I'm most proud of in terms of just like a professional writing standpoint, because um, I'm, I'm doing things there that structurally that hasn't really been done a lot before um i've I've, i'm juggling 11 different first person points of view which is really difficult to do in epic fantasy so it's something that you know if you're trying to read an epic fantasy that is uh, not the same old same old there's a lot of things out there right now that is not the same old same old i should say we're living in a golden age right now of fantasy right but um but structurally um i'm doing something that i that i think very few people have attempted so um yeah give it a shot
0: how did you plan on putting together a series where you have, obviously it's a fantasy, uh, for those that don't know, it's a fantasy setting uh, in a world, in a world, where yeah. uh, there's these certain powers in like different, I don't want to say regions because it's not always regional, has the you know special powers or abilities that they get from accomplishing certain things uh, without giving it too much away. How right. How was it to try and go, okay, well, I want to do this where there are these powers basically um but do it a little bit differently than what's been done before
1: yeah i mean i've been writing you know some of the big reveals about why are, why is the world the way it is uh if you look at the map that's at the beginning i i did write the map or draw the map first to figure out where are all the kenning sites and uh you know hopefully not spoiling too much but basically you get a, a, a kenning or a, a magical power of varying strength if you throw yourself into you know at the mercy I guess of a certain natural um I don't know what to call it a disaster yeah a, a, na- a natural something uh it might be a lake of lava it might be a certain underwater cave that you have to dive into and swim out of um and then you could be blessed with you know uh the first kenning being fire you know if you dive into the lake lava and walk out you've got you've been blessed Yay. but you know it, yeah if you don't walk out well then you're toast so yeah it, it is a, a a high cost to become a magical person uh in that world in but if you do then yeah you you've got a pretty good uh powerful life ahead of you so um I had a great time coming up with that uh, whole system and then you know finally kind of doing the payoff right now um uh, right. explaining how did it get there why is it the way it is um and then is that going to change people's um you know perception of you know what is this is it actually a blessing or is it something else so right uh, yeah
0: and i also like the fact that it's kind of it's medieval fantasy, but it's also kind of, it's got elements of like, this is also a spy book. This is also a mystery book. It's also no. a, you know, an epic fantasy type book. Mm-hmm. How was it trying to go put all those little pieces in there and still have it maintain the same feel?
1: Well, one of the things I'm trying to do here structurally uh, is, is tell the story of an epic from people who are not a knight or a, a leader. You know, those those people show up in the narrative But they are not the main characters. The story is being told from the point of view of a lot of different people, because when you have a war or an invasion, a lot of different kinds of people are affected. And whose story you choose to tell is a a pretty big decision, you know? So uh, I was trying to tell stories from the points of view of young people and old people and people of all different kinds of backgrounds so that you could see, actually get a feel for how epic the epic was. But it's also a story of an invasion. Of colonialism, we have two different uh, races of giants who are trying to colonize in different ways a continent that has been peaceful up until that time, and now they have to decide: well, how do we deal with this very existential threat? There are different ways that you know to deal with it. So um, that has been um, kind of my focus here: is how do you deal with the, you know the scourge of colonialism and um, also a lot of other things like do we why are why are epics always focused on monarchies so i I have only one monarchy but there's some other governmental systems and the monarchy that we do have uh people are rather dissatisfied and would like maybe try something else and and so there's one of those themes in you know running throughout the series is hey you know we don't have to do things the way our parents or older generations did just because right why don't right. we try something new if we can see that this is not working let's try something else mm-hmm. so definitely yeah.
0: did you have like a pegboard in the back where you had all these pins and strings attached like another thing to try and figure out okay well this guy is going to meet this guy over here but we haven't told that story yet but we're going to drop yeah. the hint that that's going to happen later yeah. on but it's in the past
1: it was really difficult at first, but uh, you know what made it possible for me was uh, using Scrivener rather than Microsoft Word. I've heard that before. Uh, You're not the first yeah. person to mention that. If you are uh, yeah, doing something highly complex uh, where you have multiple points of view and you have uh, the, yeah, the, the perspective changes from chapter to chapter, scene to scene, whatever, it's easier in Scrivener to write those scenes and rearrange them than it is in Microsoft Word because, of course, in Word, if you want to rearrange stuff, what are you doing? You're selecting it, the stuff you want to move and then you're copying it or cutting it and then pasting it elsewhere. A whole bunch of scrolling and stuff is going on and it's a pain, especially for a very large document right. because Microsoft word starts to get us unstable around hundred, 120,000 words. And you know, I'm, I'm at 200,000 words. It wouldn't, it wouldn't handle it. So um Scrivener is super stable and will allow you to easily move things around, which is what I needed to do for a Plague of Giants. When I was doing my edits for that, um, I had to move the order of narration around quite a bit and I would not have been able to do that with Microsoft Word. So I didn't have a pegboard, but I did have some really good writing software that allowed for flexibility um, for structural stuff like that. So I would recommend Scrivener. It's, It's a big learning curve if you are, you know, there's a lot of features on it that you might not ever use, but the idea that the organization tools and stuff they have for complex narratives, I think are second to none. And it just works for me. And I, and I should be clear that I don't use Scrivener for the urban fantasies. I don't need it. I just use Microsoft word for the urban fantasies Um, because they're much simpler in terms of their structure. And you only have one or two, you know, maybe three narrators, whereas, you know, I've got 11 to 12 in the, in the seven kennings. Right. So, yeah.
0: And I do like the development of each character. Cause you don't feel like you've, you linger too far on one character before you switch, but you just get enough where you're like, Oh, I can't wait to get back to that.
1: Yeah. Hopefully that's, yeah. Hopefully that's what people feel from going from character to character. I know that there are favorites and stuff like that, of course, but. Um, every character has their own journey uh, that, that they're going on. And um, you know, hopefully it's going to, go to a better place will we get new
0: characters perspectives okay
1: yeah um for example uh there are there are characters that were introduced in the first two books that you know were were part of somebody else's story but now they get their own uh narration um like uh in the blight of black wings uh finton and durvin go into a restaurant called the roasted sun chuck and there is uh, a couple of giants who work there Uh, that one is a fire lord and she's the chef her name is hollett and then her husband orden is the um, bartender so they are just these background characters in a blight of black wings but hollett becomes a narrator in a curse of krakens
0: oh excellent
1: so so there's things like that where yeah you have some characters that uh you've heard of before that become narrators and then there are some straight up brand new characters that that come along a little bit later um, and uh, are introduced in A Curse of Krakens. And then, of course, we have some old favorites. Abi, Abi Navakosa is uh, still there, and, and so on.
0: Yeah. Excellent. So. so, later on, you came up with Ink and Sigil*, which takes place, as we mentioned before, in the Iron Druid world. Mm-hmm. But, at the same time, it's its own thing. It's its own system. How mm-hmm. did that come about? Did you sit there and go, I really want to write more in the Iron Druid world? but I promised people I'm not going to write an Iron Druid book. So here's what I'm going to do. And then you just came up with this excellent concept and character. And there's so many magic systems in that world. It was really great to see another one and kind of watch it flush out and still get flushed out.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, That came about. um, I had a lot of options after the Iron Druid, after Atticus was done narrating his story, there's a whole bunch of other characters, of course, that could tell their own. But the one that compelled me was this guy who shows up in a short story in Besieged. He's, he's just called and sort of dismissed at a Scottish wizard in this story called Cuddle Dungeon. So uh, Flittish just <laughs> calls him. Yeah. I'm laughing Flittish. because
0: I'm like, Oh yeah, I remember that story. Oh so yeah. That story. That
1: story. <laughs> so, so that story is where Al McVarish makes his first appearance. And, he, he's there, he, and he's, he's basically reporting that there is an issue in this dungeon, and uh, somebody that they've been looking for, that, the, that you know, the two of the Danon have been looking for, uh, a rogue fairy, basically, it, it can be found there. So, um, but I, I, so I was fascinated, like, who is this guy, and why, why is he the way he is? Because he walks into this underground, you know, s and club, in a full-on, you know, cashmere top coat and mustache, you know, that's with the handlebar. I mean, he's he he looks all fancy and proper, slick shoes, and and he doesn't even give you know care about what's going on around him at all. He is focused on his mission and and so on. And I'm like, well, I want to know more about this guy, right? Like, who is he and what's he there for? So uh, that's kind of the impetus for it. I'm like, I'm more interested by him than you know, telling a story about the werewolves or the witches or something like that. I want to know what this guy is and and what is if he's called a wizard? Well, what is his magic system? So um, that's where everything kind of got started. And uh, once I got into Al and and then, of course, I I went to Glasgow and uh, it's a it's a wonderful city Um, and I fell in love with uh, the whole thing. And uh, I also have a friend who uh, lives here in Canada who is originally from Glasgow And so he's been super kind to go over my manuscript and coach me on how Glaswegians would say things. So a lot of the Scottish language stuff that you see um, in Ink and Sigil is uh, courtesy of a native there uh, from from the region. So, um, and I don't try to exhaustively depict the way that accent is actually spoken. I I just have enough in there to kind of hopefully give you the flavor of it. Uh, And uh, some of the really fun, colorful slang terms uh, are are joyful.
0: Well, we haven't talked about him yet, but I might as well bring him up is Luke Daniels and his audiobook reading. And I always wonder every time I hear him do something or say something, I go, now did Kevin just put that in there to mess with him? Like the, like the voice text phone app where he's supposed to be and switching the (laughs) accents on that. I was like, did that phone app, did he put that in there? Like, like come up with this elaborate story where he has to use his phone just to hear Luke Daniels do a automated voice app that eventually switches to, you know, between accents, but it's still a voice app and it's not. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Right. Um, here's the thing. Yeah. Luke can do anything. He's amazing. And, um, he had actually done stuff like that before because he of course narrates a whole bunch of other stuff. And he narrates sci-fi stuff. And whenever you have like a computer or an AI or something speak, there's always sort of this little robotic thing going on. That's similar to what these, um, you know, text to speech apps are like. So it wasn't a completely new thing for him to have to do that. So, um, but yeah, I, I do mess with him a tiny bit. That wasn't a purposeful thing, uh, to mess with him on, but, uh, I, I do uh, occasionally uh, mess with him. Like uh, there was one point in a book where Granuel was going to be running into a Polish town, and I, I could have say the any Polish interaction Yeah, I, I, yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna uh, pick. I could have picked something easily pronounceable, but I picked something with only one vowel and a whole bunch of Y's and Z's and weird stuff going on in it. And it, I think it was. Uh, I can't even say it now. I don't have to read it again. Right. I could see right. it if I if I if I see it in front of me because I learned enough Polish to be able to read it. But uh, that's about it.
0: <laughs> nice. He's awesome. Uh, how did you get Luke to to come in for some of these? You know, to first yeah. start, was it just you know like, oh, here's you know, I'm auditioning, or they picked they picked him, and you were just like, this guy's great, let's keep him for everything.
1: Yeah, it, it was it was luck. Um, at first, I had no input whatsoever. I'm a brand new author, and nobody knows who I am, and it doesn't matter what I think. But uh, in fact, at the time, uh, remember this was 2011, well, it would have been 2010 when we were signing the contract for it. They were like, uh, you're going to have an audiobook for these. So I'm like, really? Okay. They're, yeah, they're going to pay you money too. And I'm like, oh, really? Okay, well, I'm never going to earn this out. Boy, was I wrong. Um, because at the time, audiobooks to me were very boring things that you pressed play on to, you know get your high school kids to go to sleep if you wanted that for some reason so it, it, yeah they were they were terribly narrated not very you know entertaining readings of a novel was super dry stuff at the time and Luke is one of these people who came in and said you know you I'm an actual trained Shakespearean actor, you don't have to read these dryly, right. you can, you know, read them entertainingly. So why don't we, you know, and, and so he, he was assigned to me and um, I and I had no idea, you know, I'd never met him or talked to him or anything like that. And uh, he did such a fantastic job. I remember listening to the first time. And even though all the jokes, you know, I had written all the jokes in the books, but I still laughed because of the way he delivered them. He surprised me and I loved it. It was great. Uh, So yeah, after those first three books, you know, we just like, these are great. I just want to have Luke continue to do my stuff. So it was completely fortunate that I, you know, first, uh, you know, got paired up with Luke, but yeah, ever since it's been like, yeah, let's do Luke for everything because he's so dang good.
0: Right. There's nothing I've listened to dozens of his books and i've yet to hear the same character or the same voice in any of the series or any of the books that i've listened to him on yeah. so yeah He's amazing uh back to the ink and sigil did you have an issue with having you know did you have to balance out the comedy sections with the non-comedy sections with buck foy and the hobgoblin and then going back and forth and some of the other characters obviously when you were writing those books did you have to like Go, okay i need to scale the comedy back a little bit or did you say i need to add more in there because it seems pretty well balanced
1: i yeah you know what i don't really think about that um balance thing so much um i mean buck foy is i mean if you want to think about it in, in like a apples to apples kind of a thing buck foy is essentially filling the role that oberon played right. uh he's, he's he is comedy relief uh, but at the same time, one of the things that I enjoy about Buck Foy um, is that he has the opportunity to grow in ways that Oberon does not. Yeah. So I, I, there, there's a, he's got issues and and there, you know, we haven't really delved into them too much yet but um he's got reasons why he doesn't want to be in 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 fairy or in, you know in tirnanog or you know any of the fae realms anymore and um you know why why is he alone and all this other kind of stuff there's a whole bunch of stuff that we really haven't explored yet but we can get to with buck that we couldn't do necessarily with oberon so i like that he's humorous but he can also have some depth to him and um i I just really enjoy, though, his give and take with Al and Nadia and, and, well, basically anybody he comes into contact with. Um, So, yeah, I I didn't really plan a balance, but I'm glad it worked out okay.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, definitely. When you went from Ink and Sigil to Paper and Blood, um, because Ink and Sigil was very much like we're in the Iron Druid world, but this is an Ink and Sigil story. And then Mm -hmm. you get to Paper and Blood and it's we're in the Iron Druid Chronicles world um, and it's an Ink and Sigil story but it's also very much an Atticus story. And I don't want to go into too much detail because it's a fairly yeah. newer book. Um, did, you, did you have any issues with that? With, with that, I don't want to say juxtaposition, I guess would be the closest word when you were putting well, that well, together. And do you think that's, that's something that you have to think about when you're coming up with future books?
1: Well, in a lot of ways, uh, the, the Atticus and Oberon storyline in Paper and Blood finishes off some stuff from the iron druid chronicles uh for good that, oh, yeah. that yeah. uh some folks had lingering questions about right right and and so that's kind of what he was doing um where it, it was a story it, this is it takes place like a full year or more after the end of the iron druid chronicles so it was not really a thing that i could tell in the iron druid chronicles itself right it it was not it the the time wasn't right for that story so to be able to tell you know to bring that that storyline to its actual you know conclusion um i needed to introduce this whole new set of characters and magic system and everything else so that you understand you know fully what really happened so right yeah
0: you also also get like um you know people that felt like they didn't have a sense of closure now get that sense of closure yeah. and well, and we'll, obviously you've said, they're probably going to come back in future books. So, you know, it's always, always great, but yeah. I love the new Ink and, Sigil and paper and blood series. It's, it's been excellent.
1: Thank you so much. I'm enjoying the heck out of writing them and I hope I get to write more. So, uh, yeah, please, if you guys, uh, w- if you'd like to see some more, please uh, please buy Inconsigil in and Paper and Blood and tell your friends like you did about uh, <laughs> Hounded and Hext and all the rest.
0: Something I see that's a common denominator amongst a lot of your books, whether it's Ink and Sigil and Al loves his gin, or whether it's the good widow McDonough and her Irish whiskey and her Tullamore Dew. By the way, I'm going to ask another question about that here in a second, but sure. um, what... Do you you seem on your Twitter account seem to have a personal appreciation for the spirits? Uh, is that something that you had beforehand? Is that something that you just were like, I love it here, and I'm going to take my knowledge and what I love and put it in my books, or was it the other way around?
1: Yeah, um, I, I've uh, especially during the pandemic, I've I've kind of realized that if I want to have anything you know fancier beyond cracking open a beer, that I need to learn how to do it myself because I couldn't go out. So um, I kind of became uh, an amateur mixologist and uh, figured out how to do a few uh, basic drinks and uh, shared those with folks because I figure everybody else was in the same boat as I was in that yeah. regard. You know, you can't go out and have your bartender who knows what they're doing do stuff for you. So you got to learn a few basic tricks if you want to have, you know, something kind of fancy uh, because you have a reason to celebrate or whatever. So, um, but I found out that also that that when it comes to... Um, Distilling stilling or brewing or anything like that, there's so much going on now uh, and it's really an art form. There's a whole bunch of chemistry, but there's an art to it as well. And um, I'm, I'm really appreciative. It, 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 it's a part of um, really enjoying your meal sometimes, you know? It lends an extra set of flavors and brings out other flavors that would be absent otherwise, or you might not detect sometimes, you know, you know, wine aficionados can go on and on about how wine complements certain foods and so on. Well, the same can be true of, of certain uh, spirits with certain foods. I agree. Um, I find that like bourbon in particular, if you're having bourbon with steak, then your life is good. And so, yeah, that, that, that kind of a thing is, is certainly a part of it. And and so it's, uh, since I know a little bit about it, it's, you know, I try to include a little bit of it in the book for folks who also like it. And then, you know, for folks who um, are not familiar with it or don't care for it, you know, it is a glimpse into a part of culture that, you know, it's it's like visiting. It's a vicarious experience. That's what all fiction is, right? You get to visit something or experience something you wouldn't normally. And uh, that's part of the fun of reading fiction.
0: Right. Well, and like I said, it seems, you know, seems to be an ongoing theme in a lot of the books. So I thought, and obviously I I was curious, like, did he, did he used to like whiskey and he just started drinking gin? And so that's what Al's drinking now. And the thing is because of that. And, you know, so I was, I was really curious about that. And I, and I also appreciate the spirits. Uh, I also taught, uh, helped teach a class to friends on spirits over the, over the pandemic as well. So, So yeah, I, I totally understand exactly what you're saying, because we did the same exact thing. I want to make I want to make myself the best mojito possible and the best, right, you know, right. whatever instead of just rum and coke. So
1: exactly. Oh, what are but a few I, of your favorite? I, Go ahead. Well, I was going to say that that specifically why did gin show up so significantly in uh, inconsidial It's because that that was actually a result of going to Scotland. Oh, okay. Because when I when I was in in Glasgow, I was thinking, well, it's gonna be just you know whiskey, whiskey, whiskey all the dang time. And there is certainly that there. But what I noticed, you know, clear as day is that gin is a really huge thing in Scotland right now. That uh, there, if you go to like the airport and the duty-free shops and all that stuff, you will see almost as much gin on the shelves as you will whiskey, now, there's, there's. If you want rum, you're out of luck. I mean, you right, I mean? Right. if you want other things, no. But what are they distilling in Scotland right now? They are distilling a lot of whiskey, as they always have. But they're also really into gin. It's a very uh, burgeoning industry there. Lot of uh, micro distilleries and stuff like that. And uh, because of that experience, that's that I figured that that would be an appropriate thing to kind of explore with al a little bit that it's not just what you expect it's not just scotch you know As you know it's it's gin too that's a very uh um you know popular part of the culture there right now
0: and it takes a stereotype away people don't have to like think that there's the stereotype that was thrown in there it's reality you know people can like whatever they want to like yes absolutely absolutely uh, and i don't and i think and i think it's even mentioned in the books somebody's like well you but you don't like you don't like scotch what the hell (laughs) <laughs> yeah and he's like no well, i don't mind it but i like a good gin so what's wrong with that And i, I that was really nice what's your favorite go-to some of your favorite go-to drinks
1: um are, are we talking about cocktails or are we talking about spirits how general? about both let's do both okay so if we're going to talk gin um there's one that's made in victoria canada called empress 1908 okay and i it's it's an indigo and then when you when you because uh, it has the butterfly pea flower extract okay okay p as in p e a sometimes if i don't say that right people think wait a minute you're having something <laughs> made out of butterfly pea no, <laughs> butterfly pea flower extract is is it turns it um that fun indigo color and then it is ph sensitive so that you pour the gin in the rocks glass and then you add your tonic and it's like magic science oh. the the uh, the the gin changes color nice so Yeah, it's really fun to have uh, one of those gin and tonics. And then with just a little bit of uh, garnish of some kind, whether it's cucumber or, you know, anything, you know, Empress is fantastic, is a great go-to gin, and it's tough to find in the States. I'm very sorry. Um, Because this is a bizarre thing. The FDA doesn't really think butterfly pea flower extract is safe or something. (laughs) even though pretty much all of the other countries are cool with it you know and you can therefore get indigo gins in canada or made in europe or wherever uh you have to have it kind of imported in the states and then it's not really legal for them to distill it there
0: well i'm in minnesota so i'm unofficially canadian
1: so we'll just go north and grab some ourselves (laughs) there you go yeah do that And, and then uh there's uh if you're looking for a good scottish gin the botanist is really good um that's fantastic stuff there's a lot of good stuff out there actually um and i mentioned a couple of them uh, i think there was a, a illegal illegal gin something like that i think it's what it's called uh, it's mentioned in the inconsidual books uh all right and uh, when you when when, when you have it, it it does have this the spice profile in it is a lot different than than what you get with some others and it really goes well with cinnamon and cloves um as the, your garnish And an orange slice, that's kind of the profile you get with it. So I love gin because you do have uh, the ability to have a whole bunch of different flavors you don't normally get with uh, some other spirits. Someone on our chat said illicit gin. Illicit gin, that's what it is, not illegal, illicit. Thank you. There we go. Yeah, I did get to try it while I was there. It's just uh, the, the name escaped me here.
0: Awesome. So speaking of, we're talking about the drinks. Obviously, we talked about. Oh, my question was going to be about the widow McDonough. How many yeah. Twitter posts do you get of people <laughs> sending you pictures of Tullymardeu saying to the to the good old widow?
1: Yeah, right. Uh, she she was great. She was actually uh, the only character that was based on somebody real. Uh, that she was based on my own grandmother. My grandmother liked to uh, sit on the porch and have a little shot of whiskey and uh, just watch the world go by and make comments. <laughs> so uh, that's where that whole thing came from. Uh, but yeah, Tullemar Dew is, is a, you know, surprisingly drinkable, you know, whiskey that y- you can get for fairly cheap. It's a, you know, just a nice Irish whiskey for sort of an everyday kind of thing. You know, when you don't want to spend a, you know, a buttload of money for a special occasion, that's just a good one.
0: Right. I'm, I'm one who does TMI here. I'm one who cries at, at movies for, you know, my wife will be sitting next to me and we'll be fine, but I'll tear up at a, at a moment that might not even be super tender. Um, but I don't necessarily do that for books, but there was the moment where the widow McDonough was doing her prayer and she, you know, she saw it and I teared up. I was like, Oh, she got to see, Oh, that's so. And I'm like, no, I, who's cutting onions in this room. So well, <laughs> well done on that note.
1: Oh, thank you. Yeah. The, the, that was uh, a bit where, um, you know, there, yeah, there was a lot of stuff emotion going into that. Um, Atticus getting to, to say goodbye to the widow McDonough was right. basically me. You know, I never got to say goodbye to my grandma. So um, you know, that, that was kind of born out of that whole thing.
0: Yeah. It's a good, was a good tender, tender moment. Really awesome. Um, yeah. And now speaking of the Aaron Drew Chronicles, you're getting, you're getting new stuff out. Yeah. Well, re- yeah. New covers and well, yeah. maybe some yeah. new
1: other little stuff going on. Tell us about this. Yeah. I'm excited about it. Um, so this year is actually the 10 year anniversary and uh, we were supposed to have them come out this year, but maybe you've heard about supply chain issues. <laughs> no. And yeah, yeah, yeah. So we, we have to delay it a little bit, but th- the fact is that we're getting brand new reissue editions. They're going to be trade paperback size, so slightly larger than the mass markets, and uh, reset uh, and, and edited a tiny bit for like some, some things uh, that, that have annoyed me for a long time. There's like a typo in uh, Hounded where Melina is saying that they got their Just Desserts, but in the book it says Just Deserts. And I'm like, (laughs) oh my god, please, you know, we got to fix this. So there's like little tiny things like that that we're fixing. Um, And then also what I'm very, very excited about is that we're going to finally be able to include in print for the first time some short stories and novellas that have previously only been available in ebook and audio. So uh, for example, in Hounded, you get Wrath, Skeller and Kaibab Unbound, which are two short stories that occur right before the events of Hounded. And then at the end of Hexed, you will get the novella Grimoire of the Lamb. And then in Hammered, you're going to get the short story called A Test of Metal, which is a, uh, narrated by Granuel. And it's what she was doing while Atticus was in uh, Asgard. She's with Oberon. Uh, And then uh, one of the coolest things uh, about redoing this and and reissuing them is the fact that I get to put two Ravens and one Crow, which is a novella that was originally printed at the back of Hunted. I get to put it in the back of Tricked, where it actually belongs now.
0: So they're going to be in chronological order.
1: Yes. That's the other thing we're finally going to be able to do is fix things, you know, present things in a fairly chronological order now. So I'm I'm really excited about that. So yeah, Tricked will give you... um, that and then also in tricked is uh, a, a longish author's note from me explaining the chronology and why we're doing the things that we're doing and what you know what's going on, and not just explain the chronology of the series, but also how the real world chronology, right. Like where Atticus and Oberon stuff uh, actually uh, began in 2010 ish, and then that means that all of the stuff in the later books that happened after grannie training period, you know, trapped and so forth. Right. That is actually 2022 next year. Wow. So, so these reissues are coming out when all of the main action of the late series is actually happening supposed to happen. So uh, I'm kind of excited about that. And then the new covers are wow. They're done by the same artist. Her name is Sarah Coleman um, who, who does the ink and Sigil books. And so there's a lot of fun Celtic knotwork on them. There's a drawing of Atticus and Oberon on them. And then there are little hidden things in all of the knotwork. It changes from book to book so that you have uh, little moments that are specific to each particular book. Like, for example, on Hammered, there's Thor's hammer at the very top in the corners. And then down below, you'll see Ratatosk. And then you'll also see Hugin and Munin, Odin's ravens. And, and then it, it, the coloring of, of the whole thing is this midnight blue. It's just gorgeous, you know, because they do a nighttime raid, you know, right. on, on Asgard, because, you know, Leaf is a vampire. and needs the nighttime. So, so I love uh, all of the fun little nods to the actual content of the book. Um, and then what's really going to be happy for a lot of folks uh, is, is that the spines are all consistent. Like th- when these get reissued, they're all going to have a consistent look on the spine, because what happened during the, the original run is that I, at book 7 everything changed that you you had the title first at the top of the spine and then my my author's name was at the bottom for books 1 through 6 and then books 7 through 9 my name was at the top they switched it they put my name at the top and the title at the bottom drove people nuts for you know for good reason it doesn't right. it, like if you're trying to have a series displayed on your shelf it, it, it's noticeable when it switches so this will be an opportunity for people to Um, have a gorgeous consistent look on their shelves and also um, have a bunch of extra content that was never there before for for uh, print readers so it's going to be a great uh, opportunity for everybody to collect it and i will be coming down to the states to uh to sign awesome yeah it's gonna be great
0: yeah well you are at kevin hearn on twitter with an e at the end people with an e at the end we don't want to be a sports person here (laughs) <laughs> uh, at Kevin Hearn on both Twitter and Instagram, and your backslash Author Kevin on Facebook. You can catch him on kevinhearn.com. And for everybody else, uh, I'd like to say to you, thanks for joining us tonight. It's It's been a blast. Yeah, thank you. Really appreciate it. Coming up, everybody, we are going to be having, in two weeks, Owen Casey-Stevens, who is a game designer for... Starfinder, and I believe he's working on some 5th edition D&D stuff as well. And audiobook reader, narrator, Jarrett Lamaster is going to be joining us on the 29th of November. Next December 13th, one of the most well-known comic book people in the world, Chuck Dixon. If you've ever heard of anything in the Batman universe during the 80s, 90s, 2000s, he was behind it. And of course, at the end of the year, Robert N. Charette. Uh, I believe I'm pronouncing his name right. He's the creator of Shadowrun. He makes a bunch of minifigures for Warhammer since the 70s, all kinds of awards, things like that. So stick around. For all of those guests coming up, for all of you who are listening to the podcast, thank you so much, and we'll see you next time on Epic Realms. Well, there you are. I hope you enjoyed yourselves, and I do hope that you come back and join us again for Epic Realms.